Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. I want you to take your Bible, turn to Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6, and we've been looking at a series of messages that I've entitled, Seven Things God Hates. And I'm going to start in just a minute. Let me just say uh, a few quick words this morning before I preach. Um, We, uh, Marina and I, just wanted to express how much we appreciate all of you. And I know today is Pastor Appreciation Day, and we appreciate you appreciating us. So thank you for doing that, but we want you to know that we appreciate and love you, and we thank God for the opportunity that we've had to to be the pastor here over 11 years now, and I was bragging this week, I coach other pastors, and this week I was in my coaching session, and we were talking about church and churches, and and, uh, I told them about some things about our church and said, you know, I'm just really blessed, and you know, I'm able to... uh, to lead a great church. And I'm just thankful for that. You know, that you love us unconditionally. You've proven that love time and time again. And uh, we certainly appreciate uh, what you mean to us. And so thank you uh, for being a blessing in our lives. And uh, yeah, so uh, let's preach today. Amen. Uh, You know, they always ask me every year, do you want to preach on Pastor Appreciation Day? Well, the answer is always yes, because I love to preach. I love to share the word. And uh, so this is like give me a gift. Amen. I get to use my gift that God's given me. So we're in the middle of this series, seven things God hates. And as we uh, look at the series, we've been looking at Proverbs 6. And remember, we've been telling you every week, and it's I know it's kind of tedious to hear it every week, but at the same token, you need to be reminded every week that the list of the sins given to us Beginning in verse 16 of of Proverbs 6, that list is not comprehensive. That is, that there's a lot of other things we could add to the list. Uh, As a matter of fact, all sin is rebellion. All sin, according to God, is sickening to his stomach. And so it's not that we look at these seven and go, well, you know, these are just the big ones. If I just avoid these, I'll be okay. No, these sins just represent. And that's one of the things I haven't been saying every week is that these sins sort of represent all sin. Think about sin for a minute. He begins in verse 16 with pride. Listen, pride is at the bottom. It is the root of all sin. When we decide to sin, what it means is, is that we want to do it our way. We don't want to do it God's way. We want to do it our way. And when you begin to think about pride, then he moves from pride to begin to talk about the use of the tongue. He talks about the use of our mind, the use of our heart. He begins to talk about our hands. He begins to talk about our feet. Very representative of all the sin that you and I could ever commit, whether it be of the tongue or whether it be something we use of our hands or even with our eyes, the haughty look that we may give to someone. And so as we approach the seven sins that are here, let's not try to limit ourselves to these seven and say, well, here they are. But at the same time, we have to ask ourselves, why would God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, give to Solomon these particular seven? Well, I've been telling you every week, if you remember, that he started by saying there are six things that the Lord hates. And 
Yet there's seven in an abomination. And what that is drawing down to is the last one. The seventh sin in that list is one that's going to be highlighted for us because that's what, in poetic format, that's what he is doing for us, is pointing to that last one. And that is to sow discord among the brethren. And what that tells me is, is that these sins are especially an abomination to God because they are a direct violation of the second greatest commandment. You remember the first one, right? Love God with everything you are. Heart, mind, soul, mind, strength, everything that we are. The second, Jesus said in Matthew 22, is like unto you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, friends, when we commit these seven, we are violating the second greatest commandment to love our neighbor as ourself. And we've been looking at them. We, we started looking at pride and how pride is that which devalues others and inflates ourselves. And we, we looked at what it means that we have this uh, tongue that is used wrong. And now we're down to verse 18. And verse 18 begins with this word of wisdom. It says, a heart that devises wicked plans. God does not like a heart that devises wicked plans. And let me just talk about the heart for a minute because you need to understand that the heart, as the Bible uses that, is used as what theologians would call the seat of man. That is, that it represents out of the heart comes our emotion, it comes our will, and our thoughts all come from the heart. You say, no, that comes from the mind. No, it doesn't. It comes from the heart biblically. So the, the Bible talks about that in a theological sense. I, I'll just make it plainer for you. The heart, as we think about it, biblically is the central operating system of who you are as a human being. So think about that for a minute. Out of your heart, out of this headquarters that is your heart in you, comes everything else. Your thoughts, your emotions, your actions, all come from that central operating system that's in you. And so notice what God's saying there. Look back at that verse. That he's talking about a heart. So that is this person who within themselves, what are they doing with internally? They're devising wicked plans. This, this means that they are thinking and pondering wickedness, sinfulness. And most of the time when you look at these words, it's geared towards other people. So it's looking at, I'm going to devise in my heart, I'm going to plan in my heart, how can I get so-and-so? How can I do something to so-and-so? And listen, sometimes it doesn't take but a second to think about it because have you ever retaliated? <laughs> doesn't take but a second, does it? For us to jump into this realm by which we think and devise evil plans in our heart. And so we begin to think about the heart this morning. We begin to think about devising even pl evil plans. We sort of have to ask ourselves this morning, well, what is it about this heart? Well, what is it about us as human beings that, that we need to think about this morning? And, and more importantly, how is it that I can avoid having a wicked planned heart? How can I do, how can I do that? So what I want to do today is I sort of want to walk through not just this verse, but I want you to sort of think with me this morning about the human heart being the central operating system of you, who you are as a person. 
So the first thing I want you to write down in your notes is this thought. That the human heart is naturally wicked. It's naturally wicked. You know, we talk about people or good people. My, my brother uh, has this saying, when I, he introduced me to somebody, he'll say, these are good people. And the, and the reality is we know people who are good people, right? We, we have the standard by which we look at people and, you know, they do good things and maybe they're kind to us and, and we naturally call them good people. But, you know, in the natural sense, that that's our standard. But if you look at somebody by God's standard, you hold the word of God up to them and you look at what God says about people, you'd have to say that all of us fall in this category having a naturally wicked heart. That's sad to think about, isn't it? But you know, ever since sin came into the world in the Garden of Eden, ever since Satan convinced and deceived Eve, and then Adam knowingly partook, and the fall of man happened in the Garden, it wasn't long that we began to see the wickedness of hearts, right? Because then right after that, in chapter 4 of Genesis, we find that there's two brothers, Cain and Abel, and we find that one brother is offering a sacrifice to God that God accepts out of a heart. That God accepts. The other brother comes and offers a sacrifice to God that God doesn't accept. And that is out of his heart. He doesn't accept it. And God even says, hey, Cain, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? you got a heart problem, Cain. And we know he's got a heart problem because what happens? It's not long after that that he finds his brother in the field and he kills his brother. You know, it's kind of interesting when you read the book of Genesis, you find that as this sin just continues to run rampant, the, the wickedness in the heart of men just begin to surface. Listen to these words in Genesis chapter 6. This is the Lord speaking. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And then here it is, listen to this, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Think about that. God is evaluating his creation and God is saying, hey, we got a problem. The problem is that when I look at creation, people have wicked hearts. It got so bad that we know biblically that God causes a flood to happen and God cleanses the earth. Noah and his sons and their wives and his wife go into the ark and we know all about the story of Noah. But do you realize that in Genesis chapter 9, that it's not long that after the flood subsides and after God lets them out of the ark, that we begin to find how wicked the heart really is? You know, God says to us through the writing of his word in Genesis chapter 9, that not long after they go out of the ark, that Noah plants a vineyard. And you know what he does with the vineyard? He makes wine. And then what does he do with the wine? He gets drunk. And the Bible says that he goes into his own tent and he is passed out. He's inebriated. He's so uh, hammered. He don't know what's going on. And so he's laying in his tent and he's naked and and exposed. And then so not only do you have a man who's supposed to be a man of God, who the Bible said there was no one like him in his generation who was holy. Here's a man of God. He's passed out and he's naked. And then what happens? His son Ham comes in and disrespects his father. Can I just tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? The heart is wicked. And it's naturally so. Man left in the state that we are in and that we're born in, if nothing happens, if nothing changes that, we will continue down the path of wickedness. You're saying, Pastor, 
that's not really good news. Well, I don't have any more good news for you because listen to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. He said, the heart is deceitfully, or excuse me, the heart is deceitful above all things. And here's what he says, and desperately wicked. And then listen to what he says here. Who can know it? See, here's the, here's the reality is. The reality is we don't even know our own heart this morning. You say, oh, I know my heart. Do you really? Do you really? Let somebody cut you off on the highway. Hey, uh, can I get an amen? Yeah. Let, let the football halftime begin and a half-dressed lady get on the screen, guys. We find out who we are, don't we? Ouch, that hurts, doesn't it? Because the reality is, we think we know ourselves and we really don't. And Jeremiah says that we have a desperately wicked heart. And we don't even know our own hearts. I don't know about you, that frightens me. And that's why we need something greater than us to change who we are internally, not externally. Internally. See, the problem with religion, we talked about religion a few months back. The problem with religion is that we want to conform everybody to a religion. So we want everybody to look the same on the outside. We want them not drinking, not smoking, not cussing, not doing this, not doing that. And the reality is this is a religion. And we have this out, outward external thing that we're doing and we're conforming to this. But the reality is on the inside, we're dying. On the inside, we're wicked. On the inside, we are, we are devising our wicked plans and how I can even deceive you so I can get away with what I want to get away with. Think about it. The heart is naturally wicked. That scares me. Listen to how Jesus says it. Listen to what he says in Matthew 15. He said, but, and he has this argumentation about they were accusing the disciples not washing their hands. And, and he said, you know, you, you don't wash their hands. And, and Jesus answers back. He says, he said, but those things which proceed out of the mouth, that is what I say come from the heart. And they, what? Defile a man. It's not what he puts in defiling, it's what he puts out that's defiling. So it's what's in the heart, it is defiling man. He says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Here it is, Jesus saying that what we have is a, a heart that is desperately wicked, and as a result of what's in our heart, it demonstrates itself out there in the external. See, that's why we can't just try to conform to some kind of religious standard because we can't keep it up, ladies and gentlemen. Amen? You can't keep it up. The whole point of the law was not to save. The whole point of the law is to show how wicked we really are. Amen? I mean, can we even keep the first commandment? Can we even say that we say that God is holy, we'll have no other gods before? Can we even say that when we love money, we love Alabama football or Auburn football more than God? Can we really say that? That there's no other God in our life? I'm here to tell you, the heart is desperately wicked and who can know it? And so he says to us, God detests a heart that devises wicked plans. You say, but I don't have much of a choice, do I? If my heart is naturally wicked, then I don't have much of a choice. How can God dislike me if that's my natural state? Well, 
because God can do something about a natural state. Amen? That's the good news of the gospel. God can change us. God can make us different. So write this down. Here's the second part of the sermon this morning. That is that the heart needs transformation. You and I need something to happen to us. If we are continually thinking evil in our heart, then we need something to happen internally to change the heart. Not conformity on the outside, but something to fashion us and change us on the inside. And so... What changes an unregenerate heart? What is, what is it that can do that? It's only the redemption that God brings to us through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary. You, you cannot change your own heart. You cannot make yourself holy and righteous. Uh, you, you cannot begin to say, well, you know, today I think I'm just going to turn to being a good person. no. It all begins by the transformation of God that he works in the power of Christ in you, in your life, in your heart. We all need a holy touch from God today. Amen? I think about the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler had his heart in the right place, didn't he? He came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, go and sell everything. And give it to the poor. Now, that's not what Jesus is saying to earn salvation. Jesus is trying to point to the man and say, look, you love money. You love your wealth more than you're going to love eternal life. You love that wealth more than you're going to love me. You love that wealth more than you love God and want a relationship with God. Why? Because his heart is desperately wicked. His heart was searching for the answer. And Jesus is trying to lead him to the answer, but he loved his money. And so the rich young ruler, the Bible says, walks away sad. Because he had great wealth. And Jesus turns to the disciples. And here's what he says. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle. And his disciples are sort of pondering that, you know. We ponder, they go, well, is he talking about a sewing needle? Or is he talking about, you know, going through a city door or something, you know. Who cares? The reality is Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to go into the kingdom of God, it's easier to go for a chemical. It doesn't matter which one. It's still hard, right? And the disciples are contemplating all of that. And here's what they come up with. They don't come up with, well, Jesus, what kind of needle are you talking about? They come up with this. Well, God, then who can be saved? Who can have a changed heart? Who can go from a wicked heart to a righteous heart? Who can do that, Jesus? And Jesus says, with man it's impossible. But with God... What's impossible for man, he can do. Amen. Amen? Amen? So how does God do that? Well, let's just walk through some simple scripture this morning. Let us just walk through Ephesians chapter 2. We all know it well, but let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to what he says in verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, Lest any man should boast. What is he saying to us? Listen, what he's saying is simply this. That salvation is a gift of God by which he sent his son to die on a cross for you. Let me me tell you something. Listen, Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life. The Bible said he knew no sin. Not, Not one sin ever. 
And the Bible said that he who knew the sin became sin for us. In other words, he took all of our sin in this room. No, all of the sin of the world. No, all of the sin of the past people of the world, all the people in this time frame, all the people who will ever come as God continues to tarry in Jesus' coming, all of the people, he had taken all the weight of all that sin upon himself on the cross of Calvary. And listen, and it's not so much the cussing and the drinking and the murder and all this other stuff, but he took on the sin nature that you had. That is, that the nature of sin, that natural wickedness that we had, he bore that in his own flesh on the cross of Calvary. That is, he took the punishment for every unnatural thing that we have ever done. Listen, every, every sin we've ever committed because of the fact that we are naturally wicked inside. Jesus had to bear all of that on the cross of Calvary for you and in your place on the cross. And he did that because God loved you. He did that because Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, by grace. God didn't give you what you deserved, amen? Mercy. But then God gave you something you didn't deserve. He gave you his grace. That, listen, that Jesus would bear the debt and the payment of your sin to appease the wrath of God that already abides on all lost people. Paul says that, right? For the wrath of God has been revealed against all ungodliness of men, who, who, what? Suppress the truth and ungodliness. That is that everybody who is outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they listen to me, you are already under the wrath of God. It's not a matter, hey, I got time to get right before I go to hell. Listen, you're already living there. You're already under the wrath of God. You're already, the Bible says, an enemy of God. That's why the Bible says these words, behold, today is the day of salvation. Amen? Don't put it off. Don't wait. You're already under the wrath of God. See, people have the wrong idea. They have a misunderstanding of the truth. And so Jesus took all that and he bore all that on the cross of Calvary. And the Bible says he died. He was buried, ladies and gentlemen. And he was there three days in the tomb. But glory to his name. The tomb is empty. And on the third day, he lived. Amen. And he did that, Paul says in Romans 6, to make you right with God. That is, that you can have a righteous relationship with God. With God. Isn't that incredible to even know? So by grace, God sending Jesus to die for you, even though you didn't deserve it, by grace you've been saved, what? Through faith. Grace alone, faith alone. That is, what is, what is it that God demands of man? Repentance. You say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. <laughs> I deserve to die where Jesus died. I deserve the punishment he took. I deserve all that. God, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm wrong. But here's the second thing God demands. You got to have faith. You got to believe. Amen. You got to just not say, well, I believe there's a God. Well, even the demons believe there's a God and shudder. Listen, even the demons believe Jesus walked the planet. I mean, don't you remember when he confronted demons? They even said who he was. And he had to silence them. That's not what we're talking about this morning. What we're talking about is a surrendering of your life. What we're saying is this morning, have you, number one, repented of that sin, but have you said, God, not only do I believe I'm wicked and you're righteous, not only do I believe that Jesus died on the cross in my place, but Lord, by faith, I surrender my whole life into your hands. Listen, there is no way to make Jesus Savior without making him Lord. He cannot just be your Savior. He has to be your Lord. Some people say, oh, that's lordship salvation. You betcha. 
It's exactly what it is. Because that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that we ought to surrender our lives into his. What did Paul say? Galatians 2.20. He says, no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Listen, it's an exchange thing here that takes place. He withdraws all my wickedness, all of my unrighteousness out of my account. And he withdraws from righteousness out of his account and puts it into my account. And I'm righteous by the virtue of Christ and his cross. And he becomes the Lord of my life. I'm living for Jesus, a life that is true. Amen? That's what he's called us to do. So the heart is naturally wicked. But listen, the heart needs transformation. And the good news is God wants to do it. I just love the Old Testament. Listen to the rest of the text, Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, I will give you, talking to the nation of Israel, but listen to the parallel, how it jumps over to us. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's what God has done for us through Christ. He has redeemed us. How many of y'all will say today, I'm, I'm redeemed. I belong to Jesus today. Amen. Would you say amen? Thank God. I, I know I'm saved. I know that he has redeemed me. It's not just the fact that I'm going to heaven, but I'm living my life for him. He's Lord of my life. Then I got a word of warning for you. Because see, here's what I've tried to do every week. I've tried to take the seven sins and I've tried to help us to understand that God hates these seven sins, yes. But it's not just about the world we're talking about. See, it's easy for us to come to church and go, well, that's just the world. The world is in those sins. Yes, the world is in those sins. But can I just tell you that we as believers struggle. I don't know about you, but have you ever looked at your life and go, how did that creep in? Did you ever like a sin creeps out and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. where did that come from? A bad thought, a, a bad word, a, an action that displeases God, you know, displeases God, and you find yourself walking it out, and you go, whoa, whoa, where did that come from? It comes from two things. Here's the warning. I want you to write it down. The heart is naturally wicked. The, the heart needs transformation. Praise God, he does that. But, but those transformed hearts need two things. They need to be guarded, and they need to be renewed. They need to be guarded and they need to be renewed. So here's the problem. If we don't put a guard on our hearts and we don't renew our hearts, then listen, get this. Sin is going to creep in and then it's going to creep out. Wicked thoughts are going to be devised in our heart and they're going to come forth out of our hearts. You're saying, oh, really? Yes, really. So I want you to write that down. The heart needs guarding and renewing. If God has changed our hearts, What's happened? Well, number one, let's talk about guarding our heart. Proverbs 4.23, here's what it says. Guard your heart with all diligence. Now, that doesn't sound like just, hey, if you get the opportunity, or if you think it's a pretty good idea in certain places to guard your heart, that's not what he's saying, is it? What he's saying is doing it with all diligence. In other words, it's an ongoing act. That is what he's telling me is I must always be on guard of my heart. I must always be protective of my heart. See, the problem is we get lazy. The problem is that we don't guard our hearts. But he says here, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. That is, out of my heart is everything of my life. What I say, how I act, what I preach, all that's stemming from the heart. 
And so we got to guard it. Put a sentry in front of it. And what am I guarding it from? As I guard it with diligence, listen, let me just give you a couple of ideas. Number one, I want to guard them from the influence of the world. We've heard some great music this morning. Music is powerful to the soul, let me tell you. I, I, can, remember, I can remember lyrics from songs I listened to back in the 80s. And Maria and I have commented so many times how when a song comes on from the 80s music, we're like, that lyric is in that song? Like, we didn't even realize we were singing. We just were singing songs, you know? And man, all the love songs of the 70s are all about affairs and sleeping with somebody you're not married to. And this is crazy stuff. Stop and listen to it. Now, I'm not here to beat down music. That's not my point. My point is, you see how the world influences you see how media is a form by which it could be used for glory and God or it could be used for the devil as a tool into our lives to get us to think and to feel certain things? It does. Amen? And so we've got to guard our heart from the world because the world is always trying to inundate us. And listen, the world is a tool of the devil to Pull our hearts away from the Lord. And I must guard it at all times. Because you know why? Because there's times I just like this old world. Amen. You ever find that? Sometimes you just like this old world. I hate it that I do, but I just do sometimes. And so he says we've got to guard our hearts from the world. But I want you to write this down. Secondly, secondly, write this down. We need to guard them because of the source of life they are. If everything in my life comes out of my heart, then that's the reason I want to guard it. I want to make sure because Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If I leave my heart unguarded and my heart gets flooded with things, then most likely those things are going to surface somewhere in my relationships in my actions, when I'm alone, those things are going to surface. And you all are like me. There's been those times you thought, where did that wicked thought come from? God, why am I even thinking this? Because I hadn't guarded my heart. I hadn't guarded my heart. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to think about renewing your heart. Now, I'm going to read a verse of Scripture and say, that's the mind. But remember, the heart is what? It's the, it's the central, right? It's the headquarters of who you are. And so the mind is the heart. So listen, listen to Romans 12 too. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what? That is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. If you want to walk in the will of God, then you have to renew your mind. Now, literally, that means to renew your heart. The heart and the mind, they go together. So what do we have to do to do that? Number one, he says, stop conforming. See, here's that world thing again. We love it. And basically he's just saying, when he says, do not be conformed, he's saying, stop conforming. He's not saying, hey, when you get around to it, you need to stop doing something. No, he's saying, stop. Stop conforming yourself to the world. But do what? Renew your mind. So stop acting and being part of the world. Stop letting the world inundate your life. Stop that. And renew your mind. Let your mind concentrate. Let your heart focus on good and godly things. You say, how do I do that? What are those things you're talking about, preacher? Here's three verses of scripture. Number one, write it down, Colossians 3.2. 
Listen what he says. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Think about heavenly things, amen? Think about the cross. Think about the resurrection of Jesus. Think about, hey, here's a great one. Think about the fact that the Hebrew writer says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you. Isn't it awesome to know? Hey, think about Romans 8 where it says that we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit himself is, is doing what? He's praying. He's making intercession for us with, with what? Groanings. So I got, listen, I got Jesus praying for me. I got the Holy Spirit praying for me. That's pretty incredible right there now. Hey, that's the perfect will of God right there. Oh, you know what? Hey, I appreciate y'all praying for me, but hey, those two are praying for me. Praise God for that. Did you know that this morning? He's praying for you. Let your mind think about those things which are above. It's not just thinking about heaven one day. It's thinking, no, now in the present, my relationship with the Lord. Philippians 4.8, listen to what it says. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So he gives you a whole list there. What I need to do is I need to run my list or anything I'm thinking by that list. Okay, is what I'm thinking, is what I'm into, is it, is it true? Is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely in the eyes of God? Is it of good report? Is there any virtue in this? Is there any something praiseworthy to God in this? If not, let it go. And then one for my own devotions this week, the Lord brought in my own devotion time, and that is in Joshua 1.8. I love the transfer of leadership from Moses to Joshua. And here's what God says to him. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. He said, but you shall meditate in it day and night. There it is right there. If you want something to think about, get in the word of God. And what do you think about the word of God? See, the problem is too many Christians, we've been, here's what we've been taught. We've been taught a lie. You need to have a devotional time every day. And what we told people is, hey, you just have this five-minute reading time of the Word of God, and then you're good to go. Man, you've done your spiritual journey thing. But that's not what the Bible is teaching. It's not what ever the Bible has ever said to us. The Bible talks about reading it and meditating upon it, studying the Word of God, letting it permeate our lives. Listen, I heard somebody say one time, you know, oh, they've read the Bible backwards and forward. I said, yeah, but the Bible hasn't read you. Amen? Listen, I want the Bible to read us. And so he says to Joshua, he said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Here's why. That you may observe to do all that is written in it for then. Listen, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Sounds to me like what he's saying is, as I study the word of God and the word of God studies me and I meditate upon the word of God, guess what's happening? God is renewing and guarding my heart through the word of God. And then what? Out of my life, out of my heart begins to flow the prosperous. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Is your heart wicked? Is your heart been transformed? Have you met the savior? Have you met Jesus? Because he's the only thing that can transform your heart. And he died and suffered on the cross of Calvary for you. He was buried and rose again on the third day for you. That if you'll repent of your sin and by faith, trust in him and make him the savior and Lord of your life, he'll save you even today. He'll, he'll begin right now a renewal process of your heart. I wonder, Christian, are you heeding the warning of guarding your heart? Are you, are you guarding your heart? If not, let me encourage you to start. 
Are you renewing your heart? Are you taking the opportunity and the time to say, God, I want to renew my heart? Whether it's thinking things above, whether it's thinking all the things of Philippians 4, 8, or whether it's saying, you know, what, I'm going to be in the book of the law. I'm going to be in the Bible. And I'm going to let the Bible speak because it's living and powerful. And I'm going to let the Bible speak and I want to meditate on the word of God because it's then, listen, it's then that it changes my heart. And out of that heart begins the flow of the prosperous. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.